Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. You know, the Lenten season offers us a different rhythm. And it's not one we're used to, and it's not one we usually desire. The Lenten rhythm is one where we recognize that life is short. We recognize that it's not always as we want it to be and that we aren't always as we should be or want to be. And that's a hard thing to sometimes focus on and talk about. You hear the word sin pop up more during the Lenten season than other times of the year usually because we're facing the things that block us from healthy relationship. We recognize that there are times in our life when we've gotten on the wrong trajectory, we've missed the mark, and that we need time to figure out what it means to come back. We need to figure out what it means to turn and to return to the good. That's that word repentance. And the Lenten journey is all about doing that hard, hard work. It's that season where we intentionally say, we're going to do this. We're going to name it and then we're going to do the hard work. And it started last Wednesday, uh, this past Wednesday, in the biggest snowstorm of the year with Ash Wednesday, which I know kept people away. And I understand because the roads were a little bit dicey. Um, and so we had a nice small group of people, a very intimate gathering where we focused on the Ash Wednesday, Ash Wednesday and the imposition of ashes and, um, and talked a little bit about the journey that we're, we're starting And so with all of that said, I'm going to touch on some of the themes in a few minutes here that we touched on on Wednesday night, but I want to start us off with the sacred scripture reading, and this comes from the book of Exodus, and it's not going to feel like it has a lot to do with the Lenten journey, but our focus throughout this series, throughout Lent, is going to be the invitation to the table, the invitation that God has for us to the different tables throughout scripture. And the first one I want us to focus on for a minute is the tabernacle table, the table that was set up in the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And so this comes from Exodus chapter 40, verse 22, and then verses 34 through 38. He, being Moses, put the tent, the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night. 
before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. So I have some bad habits, and I'm sure some of you do as well. Um, I'm going to center, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you the laundry list because it's long of some of my bad habits. I'm going to give you some that are related to my use of my phone, which I'm sure is going to resonate with just a couple of you. So one of the things that's a bad habit for me is that I, I used to have notifications set on my phone that I didn't turn off. I didn't know you could do that. And so I was constantly getting notifications of a text message or a Facebook messenger report or some other thing would pop up saying like, look at this, look at this, look at me, look at me, look at me, right? And it would just constantly be telling me to look and draw my attention. And then there's those little red dots that when I would open my phone, it would tell me that how many messages I've missed. And so it was kind of like this little red sign that says, here, check this out. There's more information for you. And it was constantly a barrage of information that was happening. So I did the smart thing a few years ago, and I turned off most of the notifications. Now, I still get notified that when I hold my phone up, it tells me if I've got a text or if I got a new email. Um, and so there are some things there to distract me. I get it. And it's not always a good habit because when I go to bed at night, I'm not one of those people that's smart and puts my phone in a different room like we're told you should. I have it near my bedside to charge at night. And when it all of a sudden lights up as I'm trying to fall asleep, it's usually because there's a new email or a new text message. And I'm like, ooh, candy. And I want to check it. I want to see what just happened. Is there someone from the family that's texted me? Is there a friend trying to set up plans for the next day? Is there an email coming out that I may need to respond to at 11.59 p.m., which is what? Why would I ever need to do that? I don't know, but my brain goes, let's do it. And so sometimes I find myself opening my phone back up, even though I've told myself now's the time to go to sleep and I will quickly read the email, not always respond to the email, but I will at least read the email to find out what's coming for me the next morning. And then as soon as the phone's open and I've checked the email or read the text, well, then I got to click on my news app because I got to find out if there's anything newsworthy going on in the world because I just got to stay current. And then that leads me to Instagram or Facebook. And then that usually leads me to ESPN. And I end up checking all the basketball scores from the night before. And suddenly I've been awake for 45 more minutes than I wanted to because after I looked at the basketball scores, I was like, oh, you know, the Timberwolves won. I should play bubble pop on my phone. I don't know why my brain did that, but it did. And so now I've played 15 minutes of bubble pop because I have to pass that level that I can't seem to pass somehow. And now I've been awake much longer than I should have been, all because I'm not disciplined enough to put the phone in the other room. I'm not disciplined enough to ignore the email or to turn off the notification that I have one. There are so many things that I tend to get distracted by with that phone. One of the other things that tends to happen from time to time is we will sit down for dinner as a family. We try to do that as often as we can amidst all the basketball practices and this thing over here and someone staying at a friend's house and all that. When we're all home, we try to sit and have a conversation, highs and lows for the day, that kind of thing. And sure enough, the notification will pop up on the phone and the temptation is to look at it even though I'm trying to have a meaningful conversation with my two kids and my wife. And I just, it's like, do you, uh, uh, and then my wife goes, you know, if we're asking them not to be on a phone or any technology, I don't think we should be either. Ugh. Thank you for the accountability. That's what I signed up for. Anyway, so the phone becomes this crutch and it becomes this distraction, distraction from really healthy things. Now, here's the, here's the truth, right? 
It's a good thing that we have these things. It can be a really useful tool for connection and communication, ease of doing things. There is helpful things about having that type of flexibility, but when the flexibility and the usefulness gets in the way or distracts us from the health that we want to live into, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes a problem. So one of the things that God is doing here in the book of Exodus is God is trying to focus the people of Israel. Because I think that's what this phone thing does to me is it makes me lose focus. I lose focus on the healthy rhythms that I should have, paying attention to the conversation at dinner, going to bed when I say I'm going to go to bed. I lose focus on that healthy rhythm, and then it gets me off course, and I'm up too late, I'm distracted, I'm not in relationship the way I want to be. God is trying to get the people to stay focused on the right things. They've been in slavery for 400 years. They don't know what it means to be fully human because they've had someone else telling them what it means to be human. And it's subhuman. They've been told they're not worthy of love. They're not worthy of freedom. They're not worthy of making their own decisions. And now they are. Now they've been led out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're headed to the promised land. And they're trying to figure out what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a people? What does it mean to make healthy choices for who we're supposed to be? And so God tells Moses, set up a tent of meeting, a tabernacle. And here's the key. Put it in the middle of the community. Put it in the middle of the community, not over on the side, not over on the north or the south or the east or the west. Put it in the middle of the community and have all of the tribes, all of the people surround the tent of meeting because their focus should be on me. Their focus should be in this direction, not over there, not over here, not down this way, not on themselves. Their focus should be on me. Because as they learn what it means to be human, as they learn what it means to be in relationship with the divine who has not been speaking to them for 400 years, they need to know where they should be focused. So the natural question for us becomes, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Now, as I just said, sometimes my focus is not on the healthy rhythms of life. Sometimes it's not focused on the people sitting across from me. Sometimes my focus is on something else that I saw in the news or something else that's distracting me or something else that I'm thinking about or something that's coming up in the future, all of which could be worthy of focusing on at some point in my life, but it doesn't need to be in that moment when the healthy thing is rest or the healthy thing is relationship. Sometimes my focus gets off. And so where is your focus? Or here's another way of putting it. Who is your focus? What is your focus? Where is your focus? The people weren't just called to focus to a place. They were called to focus on this God, this I am with you, this Lord, this Yahweh, this living presence that wanted to be with the people, not some distant God, not some absent God, not some God of this season or that season, but the God who is with them, in it with them, the God who is leading them and guiding them, focused on the Lord. So who or what and where is our focus. When the people of Israel were in the wilderness and they were gathered around the tent of meeting, one of the first things they would do is they had all of their tents facing the middle and they would open the flap of their tent to go out. And if you know the story, the first thing they would see when they go out of the tent was what? Anyone know? Something that's on the ground every morning. 
manna. They would open the tent and they would go out and on the ground was their provision for the day, the manna that God was providing, the bread of life that they were given to sustain them during their time in the wilderness. So the first thing they would see is God's provision. The first thing they would come across is what God had been providing them that day. Here's what I wonder. What's the first thing for us in the morning? And what's the last thing at night? One of my things is on Saturday nights, I tell my, I tell my wife, because we normally, you know, we put the kids to bed and then we have a couple of shows that we're watching or a movie that we want to see or some book that we're reading. And we usually will engage in the show or the movie or the book and we'll talk and, and then, you know, we'll, we'll go to bed. And, you know, like I said, I'll usually look at my phone for a little while, play bubble pop or something, and then, you know, go to sleep. And that's all fine and good. And it's, it's a rhythm for us. It kind of seems to work. Okay. But on Saturday night, I tell my wife, okay, we can watch something, but then this thing has to go off at about 9, 9.30 so I can take the dogs for a walk because I really need to get my mind focused on what's coming the next morning for me, which is, which is here. And so I got to get focused. I got to walk the dogs. I got to clear the mechanism. I got to get it straightened out. I got to figure out what I'm going to say and make sure that what I've been preparing and thinking about is really ingrained in me. And so I, I go on the walk with the dogs. And then if I've got slides ready or I've got you know, a passage that I'm focused on, that will be, I will, I will open my phone, but it's to look at what are my bullet points for the next day? Or what's the passage of scripture that I want to focus on? Because I want that to be the last thing that I'm putting in my brain before I go to bed the night before church. It's the last thing that I want sinking in. I don't need Anthony Edwards scoring 41 points up in Portland to be the last thing that I am dwelling on as I try to go to bed, which he did a few nights ago, which is really exciting. But the point being, I don't need to be distracted by that as I'm going to sleep when I have an important thing coming up first thing in the morning. And so what am I putting into my system? What am I putting into my mind as I'm preparing for sleep? So this Lenten season, let's ask this question together. What's the first thing we do in the morning and what's the last thing we do at night? What's the healthiest thing you can think of doing when you get out of bed in the morning? Is it immediately grabbing your phone and seeing if anyone's contacted you or what the news is for the day? I mean, how many of us need to check the news right away in the morning to find out that the world's a mess? We know it is. We know there's people that don't like each other. We know there's people that are blaming each other for the problems they have. We know that it's hard. Now, yes, we need to be aware of what's going on in the world. But the first thing you do can set a trajectory for the life that you're living, can set a trajectory for your day. So what's something you can do to set a trajectory that moves towards health? Maybe it's just dropping down and doing 20. Give yourself some energy, do a few push-ups. Maybe it's just not checking the phone, putting on some music that is uplifting and that you appreciate. I love the cool jazz playlist on Spotify. It just lightens my load a little bit. I love being able to put that on, have some coffee, just chill for a second before the rest of the world hits me in the face. So what can you do first thing in the morning to set that positive trajectory for your day? What can you do last thing at night as your mind is preparing for sleep, as you are getting ready to move into this subconscious level of, you know, your brain just, your brain is still going. What are you putting into it? The last thing that you'll spend time dwelling on. And that leads to the three elements of Ash, of Ash Wednesday and the elements of Lent. 
And the first is fasting. And so I'm going to draw your attention away from me for a moment. I want you all to look out the back window there. And if you look straight back next to the board with all of our names on it, you can see the blackboard that says fasting, prayer, and service. So we made this for Ash Wednesday, but we want to keep this going all throughout the Lenten season. And underneath it on a table are little cards. One says fasting, one says prayer, and one says service. And there's some markers and there's some tacks. And what we are inviting you to do is to share, you don't have to put your name on it, you don't have to put any identifying characteristics, but we want to corporately recognize that there are things that we need to fast, there's things that we need to do in order to, for our prayer life, and there's ways in which we want to serve. And so the first thing is fasting. There are some things that we need to set aside, we need to get rid of. Sometimes they're a healthy thing, they're a good thing, but it's just, it's just kind of, it's just too much. We have too much of it in our life right? There's too much of a good thing. There's too much Anthony Edwards in my life. I need to not check the sports page every single moment of every single day. Whatever it may be, sometimes there's good things that we just need to set aside. Sometimes it's okay to set aside something that's really healthy, like a meal, to say, during this moment, I'm going to fast this meal in order to do something different with my life in order to incorporate a new habit, a new thing. And so sometimes you'll see people set aside a lunch or set aside a dinner so that they can spend that time meditating or they can spend that time writing cards to loved ones or they can set aside that time in prayer. And so there's a way of saying, I'm going to take away this thing so that I can build a new rhythm for my life. Sometimes there's things that we just need to do without. There are bad habits that we've built up, and maybe this 40 days, maybe this Lenten journey is an opportunity to say, I need to change the script of my life. Let me set aside this thing. Let me set this aside. Let me fast it for 40 days and see what trajectory comes because I've done that. And so some of us need these 40 days to set aside some things. And so if you have something that you want to fast either once a week or daily, if it's something that you want to work on, go ahead and write it on the board. One of the things, and you'll see it, is I wrote, stop being triggered by my kids whining. Okay, now, is that just going to go away, me being triggered by my kids? No, it's not, but I want to work on it this 40 days. I want to, and I wrote it down, and the other day, I'm standing in the kitchen and one of my kids starts whining about what I made him for dinner. And I'm just like, are you serious, right? And I was just like, you need to eat what I put in front of you. Like I work hard for, you know, all, all the things, right? All of the normal parenting, you know, reactions to kids whining. And then I was like, I wrote a card on Ash Wednesday to stop getting triggered by this. And so I just had to take a deep breath, walk out of the kitchen and then come back in and say, all right, boys. Hi, good to see you. I'm your dad. We're going to eat now. Okay, no more. And, uh, you know, just try to have a different presence about me. Not always going to happen. I'm going to give myself some grace as I go on this Lenten journey, but that's one of the things that I want to work on. So what is it for you that you want to work on or potentially fast? The second thing was, is prayer, this idea of, of having a connection to the vine. To prayer is a lot of things to a lot of different people. Ultimately, what prayer is, is conversation with God conversation with God. And sometimes that conversation is one where we're very intentional. We write down what we want to pray for. We write down the list of things. We write down a list of people. And sometimes we need to be more disciplined. We need to be more type A about it. We need to have a very practical approach in order to do this effectively. We need to have a time set aside in our day or a length of time that we want to spend doing this. Otherwise, we'll just forget it. We'll move on. We won't remember. That can happen to people. Some of us are like, you know, that feels too much. 
That feels too religious. That feels like too burdensome. I am way more free-spirited than that. I can't possibly try to dedicate my life to writing lists. That's just not going to work for me. Great. Sometimes prayer is listening. Sometimes prayer is saying, I need to sit with God for a moment and just be present to what God may be wanting me to learn or wanting me to recognize. And so sometimes prayer is just this, creating the space for silence and maybe even some solitude. One of my favorite things to do and that I want to commit to in this season is I, I love going into sanctuaries and just sitting in silence. I love it. I, 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 there's, for some reason, it's just been a meaningful practice for me. And so if you want to call ahead to the church and ask me or Jean if the church is open or if you can come and sit in the sanctuary and just be silent in here while Shayla's not doing yoga, please, by all means, we would love for this to be a place of silence and solitude for you to start a prayer practice. So whatever type of prayer practice you want to start, maybe this season of Lent could be that for you. Some of us just need to go for a walk in nature. And just whatever comes during that walk, you take out the podcast, you take the headphones off, and you listen for the birds that are haven't gone away because it's a warm winter. You listen for what God may be telling you. You hear the breeze. You actually feel it on your face, and you can say a prayer, or you can just listen for what God has for you. Before I get to service, I want to read to you a passage from Samuel, because It's a moment that takes place in this tent of meeting that we just got done hearing about. So let me set this up for you. Israel has been, during the time of Judges, they've had many, many years and generations where they've been in the promised land. They have crossed the River Jordan. They are settling the promised land. They fought battles. They have people like the Philistines and others that fight battles with them. And these judges get raised up and and they, they lead the people. And so they... They're in this kind of complex time where everyone's trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. They're not as centralized as they used to be when they're in the wilderness. They're trying to figure out what it means to be this group. And, and so they're, they're, they're kind of wondering what it is. And there's this woman by the name of Hannah, and she has a husband who has two wives, one of them being Hannah, and she doesn't have any children, and the other wife does, and the other wife makes fun of Hannah. And Hannah's like, oh, I wish this would change for me. I wish God would do something. I wish that I could have a child. I wish that I could could do that. And so Hannah, on on an evening where they're having a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, she is going to enter into the tent of meeting in order to, to talk to God. And so here's how the story goes. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire life. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And this is the part that I think is actually kind of funny, and I love that the Bible puts this in there. And she was praying to the Lord, as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched, seeing her lips moving, but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. I think that's really funny. Um, Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. 
Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have, you have asked of, of God. The story of Hannah making a vow that we know will eventually become Samuel. And Samuel will be the one who will become a judge. He will become a priest. And he is also a prophet who will anoint the first king of Israel. And so we know that what Hannah does in this moment bears some amazing fruit, that her son would become this dynamic leader of the people that will bring them all together and centralize them and help them set on a new trajectory. One of the things about what Hannah does here is that she courageously and bravely goes to a place that she's not allowed. Because in the tent of meeting, at that table, in that place, only the priest was allowed to go. And so we find the priest sitting at the doorway, and he's, in a way, guarding the doorway. And then she comes, in all of her anguish and distress, she comes barging in, and she drops down, and she starts mumbling a prayer silently. And he thinks that she's had too much to drink, And then he finds out that it's a whole lot more than that. He finds out there's something more. Now, here's the other thing. What happens at that table? What happens in that space normally? The normal rhythms for that community is that the sacrifices take place in that space. The sacrifices that the people were taught to have through what God told them in the wilderness took place in the tent of me. They took place at that table. They took place in that area. And where do we find Hannah? In that place. Hannah is essentially saying, I want to be the sacrifice. I'm willing to give up myself in order for this to flourish. I want something more to come, and I'm willing to do whatever it is necessary for that to happen. Hannah was a true servant. She was one willing to say, where do things need to change, and how can I do that? And she was willing to give up her own life, her own future, her own happiness, in order for that to happen. And so in this Lenten season, Maybe not in the dramatic way that Hannah does it, but what can we do to serve the community around us? What can we do to serve our family? What can we do to serve those less fortunate than we are? What can we do to bring a little bit more equity into the world? How can we be people of justice in this season? For what are you boldly going into the tabernacle? Let that be a question that you ponder this Lenten season. What in the world would you boldly go into the tabernacle and say, use me to fix this. Use me to right this ship. Use me to see this justice come. For what are you boldly going into the tabernacle? Might be more than just putting your phone in a different room at night. Might be more than just being present to a relationship. But those are starting points too.
So how can we be people who are willing to set aside some things that have gotten in the way, set aside some things that are good in order to focus on something else? How can we be people of prayer who recognize there needs to be some healthy rhythms to our connection and our conversation with the divine? How can we be people that say, I want to see this change. I'm willing to go to the Holy of Holies. I'm willing to go into the sacred space. I'm willing to say, use me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Let's pray. God of grace and love, we trust that when we embark on this Lenten journey, this journey of fasting and prayer and service, we trust that you are with us and that you are guiding us, that it's not just our trying to fix bad habits, it's not just our trying to be a better version of ourselves, even though that's good. We trust that this is something that's coming from a deeper place, a resonant place where your spirit is calling us to turn the trajectory off of a path that's unhealthy, but to a path that looks more and more like Christ, to a path that looks more and more like the flourishing of all people, not just some people. We trust that this work that we do during Lent points us towards a death and a resurrection. It points us towards Easter. So may we be a resurrection people, but do the hard work of Lent. Do the hard work of figuring out how we can have healthier rhythms, how our focus may need to change, how we can bring ourselves to this table and say, use me for your justice. Use me for your work and your flourishing. May we be that kind of people. May we be that kind of sanctuary. If you are new to our community or just visiting, we are a community that is reconciling and growing for everyone. We want to be a place that removes the barriers, as Dr. the Reverend Dr. Uh, Sean Moore writes about, that we remove the barriers that get in the way of healthy relationship between us and God, us and each other, within ourselves and with all of creation. We believe that God wants things to flourish, and so we want to do everything that we can to partner with God and to help co-create a world that flourishes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.